Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily BC. It is yet primary day again in America. Six states voting, plus the Democrats abroad, are going to have their votes uh, counted later this evening. 365 more delegates at stake in this nomination battle that is now a two-man race between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Super Tuesday 2. I've got two great guests to discuss it with. Later on, we'll be talking to a former Democratic candidate for governor of Michigan and a Bernie Sanders surrogate, CNN political commentator Abdul El-Sayed. But first, joining me now to talk about the biggest battle of them all tonight, the 125 delegates at stake in Michigan, Jeff Zeleny, CNN senior Washington correspondent who just arrived back from the Wolverine State. How are you, sir? Hey, David, I'm great. Thanks for having me. So give me a sense of uh, a view on the ground. What, what did Michigan feel like when you were there? Michigan feels like uh, it is obviously the biggest prize, 125 uh, pledged delegates. Um, so certainly it is a moment where if Bernie Sanders is going to uh, continue uh, his effort in a robust way, if he's going to make his case, this is the place to make it to voters. If, if he's going to make the argument here, uh, this is the place he'll do it. And a couple things. Uh, uh, talking to voters uh, at the Sanders rally in Grand Rapids on Sunday and then again with Biden in Detroit on Monday, I'm struck by the a degree to which uh, President Trump's name came up in both conversations. There is a sense, without a doubt, he is the big difference from 2016. We compare a lot. You know, Bernie Sanders uh, narrowly wins, uh, beats Hillary Clinton in 2016, and that was a turning point. I remember that night very well. I was with the Clinton campaign in Cleveland, actually, and Bernie Sanders winning was a huge surprise to them. The difference here is uh, Hillary Clinton is not on the ballot, um, which, you know, there were some anti-Hillary Clinton votes in there, of course, and Donald Trump is the president. So that in mind, everyone talked about President Trump. So I think that the sense here, us comparing it to 2016, I'm not sure how apt that is because, boy, there are so many differences. And I think those two are key, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Well, here's where it's apt. Uh, one person was on the ballot in both times, and it was Bernie Sanders. Sure. And uh, the test is for him, as I see it, that he's got to prove that he can recreate uh, the coalition that he did create in 2016. He's been underperforming in some key areas in this race thus far. And in a state like Michigan or a state where he overwhelmed last time around, like Washington State, that is uh, voting today or their mail-in ballots are being counted today. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to see is is Sanders 2020 besting Sanders 2016 or is he underperforming that? And if he is, what is the argument the Sanders campaign makes to go forward? I think Michigan will be a great test of that. I mean, he, he has to do better than 2016, actually, particularly in places like Detroit, in Wayne County. He has to show that he can you know, win over uh, more African-American voters. So important to Michigan. Um, but one other thing, this is why it's so fascinating about presidential campaigns. We never know what they're going to be about at the end. They're constantly evolving. Uh, and I was struck by that by reading the copy of this morning's Detroit uh, News, the, the actual hard copy. You can hear it here as I was getting on the plane. And it says market plunge raises recession fears. It's election day. So we're having something happening in our you know, environment. The market crash yesterday was extraordinary. The coronavirus is making people sort of on edge and anxious. So what effect does that have on this race? We don't know necessarily. But Joe Biden has always been seen as sort of a comfort blanket. You know, everyone does not love him. I talked to people at the Biden rally last night. He wasn't their first choice. I talked to someone in Elizabeth Warren shirt, wore the shirt to the rally. But they said, we're going to vote for Biden because, A, it's time to uh, wrap up this nominating fight. And, B, they think he's the 
uh, strongest of the two. So I think it's so fascinating here. It's not a popularity contest necessarily. There'll be a lot of people who weren't with Joe Biden necessarily at the beginning, but they're with him now. The question is, is it enough to um, overwhelm the true hardcore Sanders supporters? And I don't know the answer. Well, I mean, it's just so interesting to hear you say voters talking about bringing this nomination race uh, to a close. Now, here we are in the second Tuesday in March. The last two competitive Democratic contests, 2008 and 2016, went the distance all the way through uh, the June primaries, uh, even if it was sort of known who was going to emerge as the nominee slightly earlier than that. They, those contests went the distance. Um, back in 2004 is when we last saw a contest that sort of wrapped up this early. And I'm, I, I'm curious to hear you say that. Are you hearing that a lot from voters that they just want this wrapped up because of the goal of defeating Trump? And David, what is the similarity to 2004 here? An incumbent president? Exactly. So that is the difference. So that's the question tonight. I don't know the answer. I talked to a lot of voters. Are you ready to have this wrap up? And people talk about President Trump. So he is influencing this campaign in many, many ways. If this was an open seat, I have no doubt, A, a lot of these Democratic, the arrivals would still be in probably. But so that's a sense. Are Democrats ready to sort of move on to the next phase or are they not? Michigan will tell us so much about that. And Bernie Sanders, he campaigned across the state, added a ton of events to his schedules. He really worked for it. Uh, The Biden campaign came in essentially at the last minute, the last day. Um, So we'll see here. But there is just a sense of, you know, President Trump hanging over this. And I think it probably benefits Joe Biden unless Bernie Sanders shows that he can create this coalition and turn people out that he's been talking about. And that Ann Arbor rally on Sunday night, the pictures of the supporters of, you know, just flooding the uh, campus for Bernie Sanders is something that uh, certainly the Biden campaign had to be paying attention to. No There's doubt. no I way mean, he could draw that crowd. Obviously, college campuses are Sanders country. There's there's little doubt about that. And I think hanging over all of this, you, you note the general election. You know, Michigan's one of those three states with that blue wall that crumbled that uh, helped deliver the Oval Office to Donald Trump. And uh, in the primary four years ago, we were able to see some tea leaves about that. And I think we should be looking for that tonight as well. What it tells us about the Michigan electorate uh, for the fall uh, as well. But I would say uh, it is hard to overstate the burden that is on Bernie Sanders tonight, far more so uh, than Joe Biden. Jeff Zeleny, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. And joining me now to dig even deeper on this critical state of Michigan tonight and how Senator Sanders may fare there is former Democratic gubernatorial candidate Bernie Sanders surrogate and CNN political commentator Abdul El Sayed. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So uh, what do you think of my... Uh, thesis that the burden is bigger on Sanders tonight than Biden. Well, I'll tell you, coming out of Super Tuesday, Biden had a huge uh, surge of momentum, and, and that's undeniable. And uh, I think if, if if Sanders wants to take any of the momentum back, it's going to look like um, performing well in Michigan. And, uh, you know, the reason why is that not performing only, well, you mean winning. I mean winning. And I, I mean, um, I mean, showing that he can uh, he can earn votes out of some of the demographics that were part of that uh, momentum surge for 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 Biden, um, and and you know the argument's obvious, right? You've got 365 delegates up. Michigan is more than a third of them, and uh, Michigan is also such a keystone for the electoral cal- calendar in uh, excuse me the electoral map in uh, in November. And um, you know it's also a microcosm of America, right? Totally. I, I always tell folks that you know if you, if you uh, want any of the American experience, you can have that um, in Michigan, right? Whether it's 
uh, folks uh, in you know the rural parts up up north of um, you know the midline of the mitten uh, or in the UP, of course. Uh, if you want folks in you know urban Midwest industrial communities in places like Flint, and Detroit, um, or if you want you know suburban Michigan and Oakland County, all of that is there. Um, and we lost Michigan uh, as Democrats by ten thousand seven hundred and some votes uh, in November handing the presidency to to Donald Trump. And so all eyes are on Michigan right now. Um, it is such a critical state. It's also a winnable state because it it, it, it bucks convention because it's so diverse. Now, you mentioned uh, the Upper Peninsula. That was Sanders country in the primary uh, four years ago. Uh, it has a lot of white working class, white non-college educated voters uh, up there, uh, as we see in uh, lots of pockets in the state of Michigan throughout. What I saw on Super Tuesday and looking through all the exit polls is that Sanders isn't performing quite as well with that group. Biden is has a foothold that Hillary Clinton never had with that group, it seems. And that's keeping Sanders at bay in in a lot of these states. So not only does he need to obviously expand his uh, appeal among African-Americans, that that had been on his to do list all along. But I think what Biden is proving now is also on the Sanders to do list is reinvigorating this connection he had with white working class voters. Yeah, I'll tell you, though, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time campaigning in those communities. And the reason that a lot of those folks supported uh, Bernie Sanders is because he was speaking to the anxieties that they feel about the challenges they face in their lives. Um, whether it's the fact that, you know, for a lot of them, access to a well-paying job that used to be a given uh, anywhere in Michigan just 40 years ago um, isn't quite the case anymore. Uh, or because you can't have that job, you also don't have access to basic health care or it's protection of the Great Lakes, which, you know, a lot of the economies on the outer ring of Michigan uh, not only, you know, rely on but depend on um, a viable and healthy Great Lakes. And so uh, for them, a lot of the messaging about, uh, reaching forward and solving those problems, I think, really resonates. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but, you know, my experience with with those communities suggests that there is something about his message specifically uh, that I think um, really resonates. And it will be um, interesting to see what happens tonight. I'll, I'll tell you, though, on the ground, um, you know, I was uh, at those rallies in Grand Rapids and uh, Ann Arbor and um, the surge of young people and the excitement of young people is huge. I was I voted in Ann Arbor on Monday. I made the mistake of voting on the Monday after the uh, after the rally, and um, you know I thought I was I was you know getting in early. Uh, I had gone worked out, and then I um, <laughs> went to the polls uh, to early vote. I waited in line for two hours, and probably seventy percent of that line was college students. So let me ask you: We've seen this in other places in terms of. Prior to an election, we've seen Bernie Sanders go and campaign in a college campus, get a huge turnout of people. We've seen the enthusiasm and excitement of his crowds. It's not materializing at the polls yet. We we just we, we have not seen a dramatic increase in young voter turnout. We just haven't seen it. You are of the mind that we're going to see something different tonight. I am. And, and the reason why is because, you know, I think there is something among any group of people that gets uh, stereotyped that you sort of presume that you guys are already showing up, even if you don't show up. You're like, of course, young people are showing up. I just, you know, I've got class. Um, so I think uh, I think a lot of the young folks, at least I talked to after the rally, um, you know, I'd look at them. I'd be like, you make sure to go vote. You don't show up here tonight and then and then miss the polls. All right. Like if, if you had to pick one, don't come here, go there. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll tell you that they uh, realize that there is an opportunity right now to, to turn the tide to change the conversation. And that that means that you've got to show up. So let me ask you this. As a diehard Sanders supporter that you are, a top-tier surrogate uh, for the candidate, just play out this hypothetical with me for a moment. If indeed Joe Biden has a night tonight where the map looks 
similar to what it looked like last Tuesday, just a, a sweeping victory for Joe Biden. What is the conversation inside the Sanders campaign, given how hungry the Democratic Party is to really take on Trump and not have a protracted long Democratic nomination race? Is that something that I mean, I've always believed Bernie Sanders is such a true believer in his message and his supporters are so committed that even if. There were all and I'm not just talking about establishment power broker pressure. I'm talking about voters, voters who are interested in seeing the Democrats start coalescing around and taking the fight to Donald Trump. Is that something you think Sanders would even consider, given he can raise all this money and continue this fight? Or I just wonder what you think that conversation is like inside the campaign. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I know that uh, no no matter who you are, uh, if you're a Democrat, uh, we've got a responsibility to beat Donald Trump. And um, Nobody wants to do anything that would harm that ability. And so, you know, I, I know that, you know, for me, um, I, I, I've said I'm going to work as hard as I can for my beliefs and my ideals. And right now that looks like um, Bernie Sanders. But uh, I'm, I'm a Muslim in America and I know what the costs are because uh, those folks that he's trying to ban are people who look and pray like me. And um, we all know what's at stake. And so, you know, whatever happens in this nomination contest, we got a responsibility to turn around and beat Donald Trump. And I know that that's at the, the forefront uh, of, of the senator's mind. And the I guess question my question is, for you, I guess my question for you is, do you think the stitching together of the Democratic Party to accomplish that mission you're talking about is uh, going to prove to be as difficult as it was four years ago? Or do you think that's going to be an easier project uh, between the Biden and Sanders camps, whoever emerges as the nominee? Right. Whoever wins, um, I think it's an easier project. You, you know, you, let, let's not forget that the the gorilla in the room um, is Donald Trump. And we all know that we've got to beat him. And we all know what's at stake um, because we all have friends and family or ourselves who stand a lot to lose if he wins again. Um, and as a country, our uh, our democratic ideals, I don't know that they can withstand four more years of this. Um, and so I think it's going to be a lot easier. And I know that on both sides, everybody's as committed um, to making sure that we walk the path together, arm in arm, even if it may be uncomfortable after a, a, a bruising battle. I will say, though, it's not over, right? And uh, we've got a lot more conversations, a lot more votes to be had. And um, I do think it's important for us to dignify and recognize the will of voters um, and their role in, in, in making a choice. We've got to make, make the choice. I, I'd hate to you know, tell folks uh, later on down the line that you know, your state came too late, so your vote didn't matter. What is that? What am I hearing you say? You want Bernie Sanders to stay in this race all the way through the June primaries, uh, January, uh, the June primaries, no matter what the state of the delegate race? No, is? but I think I think I think if there is uh, a potential pathway forward um, that we've got to allow people to make that choice together. I, I don't want to see a situation where um, you've got folks who just sit down and be like, look, it's all off. And you're like, no, there's actually a viable pathway for anybody. Um, and I'd say the same thing on either side. Right. Um, that this is a conversation we're having inside the Democratic Party about who our best nominee is. Uh, to 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 win in November, and I think that that conversation has to play out. Um, however much there's an air of inevitability that a lot of people want to manufacture, and I think we've got to let that play out, and uh, and then see where that goes. And whatever, whenever we get to the point where it's clear that there's not a pathway, at that point we've got to lock arms uh, and make a way to November and win that race. Can I tap some of your medical expertise right now? Sure. Since you're a doctor, uh, and we're dealing as a nation with this uh, coronavirus outbreak, uh, I just want to get your sense of um, how concerned you think Americans should be about this? Because I, you know, we're a country of more than 300 million people and uh, we I don't even think we're at a thousand 
cases yet nationwide, uh, although obviously it's on the rise and there's more testing being done now. And so those numbers will go up. I, I no way do I want to diminish the seriousness of this, but but how much should Americans alter their daily lives right now as they're dealing with this? Yeah, Um the good news is that for most people, the risk of serious illness uh, or death is is really low. Um, the The hard news is that there are a proportion of Americans who all of us have a responsibility to look out for who are seniors and people with chronic disease for whom this is a really serious virus. And so what's likely going to happen is that we're going to have to think long and hard about why our public health infrastructure was not up to the task under this administration. And that will lead us to a scenario where because of where we are today and the fact that we have, you know, ultimately failed to contain this virus, um, that we will face like real mitigation challenges. Now, for for all of us in our daily lives, you know, you should be washing your hands anyway because, you know, the flu is a thing. Um, You should be not touching your face anyway. You should have some hand sanitizer on you, uh, assuming Purell doesn't like jack the price up and price (laughs) gouge you. Um, You should have those things anyway, right? And so for most folks, go about your daily business. The hard part is that we will likely have to start to see mitigation protocols, things that will interrupt our daily lives, right? Don't gather in large groups of places. Don't go on public transit or if it's shut down. Um, don't engage in interstate travel. Those are things that we may be looking at as this uh, moves forward. And, you know, the hard part is that the doubling time on this on this coronavirus is about six days. And so what do you mean doubling time? What does that mean? The number of new cases, the, 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 the time in which it takes the number of new cases to double what we just saw. Um, That's about six days is what we're seeing. And so, you know, you're talking about uh, 500 to 1,000 and then what comes after that. And and, and doubling means doubling, right? So once you get to 3,000, you're talking about 6,000 in six days. Um, And that's the hard part. And so we've got a lot of work to do to um, keep each other safe. um, And we've got to listen to to our experts, um, especially at the state and local level, who on whom the burden of, of stopping this is falling. Now, you say there was a failure to contain, but was this containable? Absolutely. We, we shouldn't have been here. It was containable in the moment that uh, it emerged in Wuhan. It was containable um, in the moments we knew it was going to come to our borders. Uh, it's been containable at the point of, of entry. Uh, it just hasn't been contained. And part of the reason why, and I just want to explain this for folks, you know, there's been a large conversation about these testing kits. The way you contain an outbreak like this is called contact tracing. And what contract tracing is, is literally finding everybody who is connected to somebody who is exposed and then finding their contacts and so on and so forth. If you can't rule out disease in somebody who is plausibly connected, you have to assume they have it, which now means that the number of people you're trying to contain among is way bigger than it could have been. And so had we had the infrastructure to take this on, right, in the first place, we might have seen it contained. And I do hope that as it emerges... Uh, later and later um, communities where it's starting to hit will be able to contain it because we know what we're after and we've uh, we've we've resourced up. But um, it didn't have to be this way. Uh, public health. I mean, I remember giving interviews early on and said, "Look, our infrastructure is strong. It's the strongest in uh, in the world, and we'll be able to handle this." And I was proved wrong because you know if you don't if you don't tend to it, if you don't invest in it, public health is the kind of thing you want to have had. Um, uh, and most of the time you don't see it working. It works in the background and you don't deal with these situ- situations. Right. It's not the kind of thing that does a great job chasing up. Well, let's hope uh, if if the containment piece is already beyond us, hopefully the mitigation piece uh, will go more successfully. Abdul El-Sayed, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. 
And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.